Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, listener. It's audio producer Robin. Carlos and Sean are away this week, but we'll have more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean next week. Today we're re-airing a podcast where Carlos and Sean pull back the curtain on sports journalism and what it takes to write a profile on Kurt Gibson. Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, Carlos, it's good to see you, man. Um, I know we talked last week, I think it was in New York for the NCAA tournament, uh, the week before you were out. Maybe it's just all the, you, the week before that, I think you were in Lakeland. I was in Columbus, maybe Chicago. I don't know. It's all running together. It feels like we haven't seen or talked to each other in a while, even though we just did last week. But you know what I mean? This this time of year, this gets a little a little crazy. We got the Wings and the Pistons. They're close to wrapping up their seasons. Maybe one of these days, Carlos, they'll play beyond April. And uh, and we got the Tigers about to start theirs. Uh, the What's the other team we have? The Lions? Uh, there's so much buzz, but we'll, we'll oh, talk the about Lions. We'll world, talk about the world Lions. beaters out in Phoenix this week. Oh my goodness! Yeah, the GM meetings are going on out in in, uh, in Arizona. The 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 great Dave Burkett's out there. He's got us covered. When he gets back, he's going to join us, and we can put a bow on the free agency and you know get into some some draft talk and and all that sort of thing. But I, I thought maybe we could do something a little bit different today, if it's okay with you. Uh, and I know we had in our pre-show uh, meeting. I ask you to trust me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a ge- that's that's a generous term for what that was. Well, I yes. mean, you know, what else you want to <laughs> call it? A gab session, whatever. I ask you to trust me a little bit because I, I look. I want to I want to talk about the idea of story and storytelling in our business and how it's changed. And what really got me thinking about this was the story that you wrote um, from. Well, maybe not from Lakeland, but that you reported in Lakeland and then probably finished when you got back to, to Michigan. And it's about Kirk Gibson. And it was a terrific story, a great story, actually. And um, thank you. For the, for, for the listeners out there that haven't seen it, the, the headline is Kirk Gibson changed baseball 35 years ago in LA, but he never wanted to leave the Detroit Tigers. Uh, I think we're missing uh, the, maybe we're not. I don't know. You know how the headline writers are. In any case, it's not the kind of piece we do a lot of these days, Carlos. I mean, I rarely do them. I know you don't do them very often. The free press sports department doesn't do them like we used to, just journalism in general. And um, so when they drop, when we get one, when we see one, um, to me, they, they stand out even more. And before we uh, we get into the piece itself and to Kirk Gibson, because I feel like you, you got some stuff we hadn't seen before, I, I just wanted you to talk about why you wanted to do this, how it kind of turned into this longer story. It's not just a, a quick column or your couple of thoughts on Gibson or whatever. It, it, it really delves into some, some really important sports history in, in our area. And, um, and I'm just curious kind of how it came to be. Well, uh, it, the, the true reason of the reason of why it came to be is because 
I grew up in L.A. as a Dodger fan, and the night he hit that home run in Game 1 against the A's in 1988, I was in the forum, the Great Western Forum, I don't know if it's still called that, watching the Kings and Flyers, watching Wayne Gretzky's Kings beat Ron Hextall's Flyers, and um, it was a big deal in L.A., as you can imagine, you know, such a such a memorable home run, such a dramatic home run. And, um, but the reason that it happened is, um, and I don't know if you do this, Sean, but I try to kind of um, uh, look for anniversary dates, you know, and, and that's one of the great things about Detroit. You know, there's so much history here. Um, it's always good to revisit, um, you know, momentous events, uh, things that, that kind of change the course of a team's trajectory, whatever it might be. And it was it happened to be 35 years ago that uh, he left the Tigers in free agency and signed with the Dodgers. Um, it happened on January 29th, I believe, is when he signed with the Dodgers. And at first I was a little bit upset because I didn't realize that it was happening that at that time and so quickly. And I'm like, oh, I missed the date. It would have been great to run it, you know, hey, 35 days, 35 years ago on this day, you know. But the other thing was I thought, well, um, I can't, it's hard to get a hold of Kirk Gibson. He is not really out there, you know, um, bouncing around and doing media, media, you know, availability and stuff. He works for the Tigers, but um, he's, you can see him more at the games and track him down. And he's not really looking for publicity these days um, for the most part. So it actually worked out that going down to Lakeland for a week, uh, I could do a few things, but the the main point, the main thing I wanted to do was to talk to to Gibson about it, um, his his uh, journey, everything that went on. A lot of it's already been reported, but there's also it. There's never it doesn't hurt to re to kind of relive or revisit what happened, and sometimes the players or the people involved have a fresh perspective on what happened. Um, so that's really what it was. Um, just looking for anniversary dates. I did that with, um, we had, we had the, uh, what was it? The 25th anniversary, I think of the brawl at Joe Lewis with the, yeah. the abs and the wings of years ago. I talked to McCarty about that. Um, so that's kind of one of the little, the little, so you're uh, a history. so you're a history buff. Yeah. One of the cheats in journalism is look for, look for fun anniversary dates. <laughs> And people love to talk about it. Actually, that's usually right. the case. But I, but I think you're selling yourself short here a little bit. I mean, I, I understand that. And look, you go down to spring training uh, in your role as a columnist. You, you're normally going to go down. You got to produce at least one column a day, sometimes maybe more. And uh, and there's value in that, right? Uh, what our, a column our, a day? What kind of what kind of boss would you be, man? That's well, no, I mean that's that. Yeah, it, look, there's obviously a lot of value in that. Our colleague uh, Jeff Seidel, a columnist who just loves baseball more than just about anybody I know, goes down, and that's what he does. He tries to to capture that. You went down, understanding that he j- he's already been down there for a few weeks, and this is you know maybe I don't want to get too much into kind of the making the sausage part of, of journalism, but you're trying to figure out, okay, what can I do <clears throat> a little bit differently, right? I know that you're working on another piece. I don't want to give it away here. That'll be out uh, sometime probably later in a- April. Let's just say it'll be attached to a pretty big golf tournament. And uh, <laughs> it has to do with you playing golf and with a surprise guest. And we'll, we'll, we'll let, we'll, we'll let the readers figure that, uh, figure that one out for themselves when it happens or when it drops. But, but yeah, no, Carlos, you, you had to, you had to figure out 
what can be different, right? Because you don't go down to spring training every every year and spend uh, several weeks, and so you want you want to figure something out. I, I think to the 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 larger point is that there's still room for us to do that, right? And I think it's necessary yeah. to do that. It, it's easy to get, and we can talk about this too. It's easy to get wrapped up in, especially as a columnist. All right, what's my take? You know, and do I, and how hot does it need to be? And how, uh, <laughs> and how opinionated do I, right? I mean, it's easy to get wrapped up into that. You got to have yeah. something to say. But to step back, I think, and, and my guess is, uh, you know, I don't want to give away proprietary stuff about how well that, that, that piece did. But my guess is it did really, really well, right? And that you had feedback in a way you don't, unless people are just really angry at you for something you've you've written and they're disagreeing with you. But did it did it surprise you how it hit? And is it a is it a good reminder that uh, that stuff really matters still? Yeah, it it uh, it surprised me a little bit. Um, you know, to to the one listener out there. Um, yeah, we we have uh, we have a lot of advanced technology that looks lets us look at a lot of numbers and metrics and everything, um, and it did well across the board on on all a lot of the key metrics. Um, and I was, you know, Sean. I mean, you and I, you know, I uh, you we always do our our best, and you have one of the great lines I've ever heard about writing that you don't say you like writing, you say you like having written. And it can be a little torturous, right, uh, to, to craft these stories and opinions and whatever it might be. Um, but this one, I was, I was, I was happy with it. Um, I liked, to me, the one thing about these features, it's more of a feature than a column that's, you know, definitely in a column voice. But um, it, to me, it's all about the planning, you know, and, and what is it? What's the general thrust of what I'm writing? And then if you get the source uh, subject or subjects to to be more forthcoming, that really helps the story. So it all kind of lined up. But I was uh, I was really happy that it did well. Got it. Oh, my God, everybody. It, it was just just so many um, so much positive feedback. Some of our former colleagues, too. Uh, chimed in, which is really nice. That's that's the highest compliment you can get from people you respect, who are maybe out of the business or retired, and they said they really enjoyed it. Um, so that's that's always fun. Well, you can I, give us some names. We're 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 among family here. Who'd you hear from? Uh, Na- Mick uh, Nancy Laughlin was the was the one person that. Um, yeah, I guess she's yeah she's the one person who's not working for us anymore. She's a longtime former news boy, editor. Yeah, news yeah. editor. She was just uh, you know just and an a amazing... big baseball fan, by the way. Oh, was she? Yeah, you're yeah, right. She, you're right. She was. Yeah, she's uh, a huge baseball fan. She well, had that's Tigers not, pennant. <laughs> that's that's nice. No, that, that that's the, the nice kind of validation. Obviously, you know, writers. It's funny. I was I was at a journalism class recently. We were talking with uh, young students, and they wanted to know. We were talking about writing and how you get better and so the internal balance you know so many writers especially journalists it's harder for me to speak for novelists i've known a few nonfiction writers but but most of journalists and so many journalists have sort of a uh, a mix of confidence borderline borderlining on arrogance with deep deep insecurity and those two things <laughs> go at each other internally constantly so you do a piece like this and even at your age, you've been doing this a long time. It's it's still nice to get some some feedback, but just in, in general, um, 
I, I like, you know, you worry, look, we could get into, we could do a hundred podcasts about the state of our business and where we're at and what we produce, but it's just, I read this piece and I just thought it's nice. I know we do this on the news side from time to time, but in sports, you know, there's so much feeding the beast. We have eight teams that we're responsible for covering and not to, primary teams and the four pro teams and then the four, you know, basketball, football at Michigan, Michigan State. And then lots of other stuff sort of around that too. And just feeding that sometimes doesn't allow for this. So so when you see it again, like I said at the top of the podcast, it really stands out. I, I want to talk about the story itself and, and how you structured it. And I want to ask you about this lead, which I think is great. But before I do real quickly, I, I wonder in the way you des- decided to, what you the, the fact that you wanted to write about that he didn't want to leave Detroit. I thought was really smart. He went to LA, he hits the homer, but he really didn't want to leave Detroit. Obviously he had roots here as Michigan, you know, grew up in what Waterford and played at Michigan state as a football player. And so that's all well known, but the fact that he didn't want to leave Detroit, I thought felt sort of fresh and new because there was a, I don't know if you saw this, Carlos, there's a pretty incredible profile of him that was written as the best thing I've ever read about him for. I saw your piece within the last 10 years, written by S.L. Price of Sports Illustrated, about his his personality and just Mm -hmm. his intensity. And it's an intense piece, and it captures parts of him that I don't know that he wanted to be captured, right? It's a a very raw, raw piece and about how he's sort of changed and how he used to treat people and, and all that sort of thing. You largely stayed away from that, and you related it to his Detroit to LA journey and then he wanted to go. So I thought that was really, really clever because sometimes when you're writing about a, somebody later in life and they've so much has been written about them, that's not easy either. Right. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of history, a lot of source material. And the funny thing about the SL price, uh, he works for sports illustrated or, or used to, I'm not sure if he's still working for them, but I try to stay away from too much uh, research when it comes to that kind of stuff. Cause I don't want it to influence what I'm writing. I don't want it to get in my head of, you know, are you copying what this person is doing? Are you riffing on it? Are you, you know, oh, do I need to include that? You know, like it's, it's, you can get inside your head a little too much as a writer if you read too much background, um, I think, in my opinion. By the way, S.L. Price, when I was in college or somewhere around there, he wrote one of, still one of my all time favorite features for Sports Illustrated when the old Montreal Forum was closing. And he wrote about, he had a great take of saying, you know, and he, I think he's done this with the other pieces of the ghosts of the forum. And he starts it off in the voice of Howie Morenz, a great, great Canadians Hall of Famer in the 30s, and that he's dead, but he's talking from the grave, basically talking about all the different things that have happened in the forum in the last whatever it was, 70 years that it's been there. And it was just such a, it, it was the first time I had read a, a, a take like that in a feature, but it was just, if you ever find it, it look for it, S.L. Price, uh, Howie Moran's, the Montreal Forum, or I think it was like early 90s that it came out, just fantastic. But but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's you, you do have to, you can't just kind of go back and rehash everything. And I thought the, the, the value, the value with, uh, with this story at least was going to be that, Gibson hasn't really talked about that in a while. So it's something that even if it's some of it's been 
written or or like when you know when when price is written it's been 10 years it's been a while most people yeah. have not seen that story or may not remember it and even even from the research i did gibson had slightly different takes uh now than he did when i've read other pieces back certainly you know i went through our archives um when it was fresher when it when when People were talking to him about it, you know, when he was with the Dodgers and and the different anecdotes. Um, so, you know, you're he's a human. Your your memory changes, your per- perspective changes over time. So, this is Gibson, Kirk Gibson now at age, uh, you know, early sixties. What he's remembering about something that happened, you know, almost half a century ago now. But it's always and as a fan, as a sports fan, it's always fun to kind of go back and and talk to people about those those amazing moments. Well, yeah, and their perspective changes. I remember. I don't remember what year this was. You'll have to forgive me. It was. I don't know. It was the year Jack Morris got into the Hall of Fame, and I I went to D.C. to 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 talk to him, and he agreed to meet me in his hotel lobby. We talked for a while, and. And I remember sitting there with him and him kind of sort of apologizing, right? And saying, yeah, I did a lot of stuff that I regret. And he <laughs> was kind of swinging back from being really emotional. I think he finally gotten in, right, to this regret. And, uh, you know, and I, I wrote all that. And that, that, pers- that perspective can make for a really compelling piece, to your point about Gibson. But in terms of what you wrote uh, this, this week, for the free press about him, your lead is, I mean, you could probably just stop it after your lead, right? It, it says a lot about who he <laughs> is, and it's it's Kirk, Kirk Gibson doesn't want you to read this, which is a great lead, which reminds me, it sort of harkens back to this, you know, the immersion journalism, the narrative journalism, the new journalism sort of style that started in the 60s with Tom Wolfe and, and a, a bunch of other writers, uh, maybe even the late 50s, but, but 60s, gay to lead. It was 60s, yeah. But but that... that um, that sentence reminded me of of something you might read out of Esquire, you know, thirty years ago. That era, so it's it's a nostalgic kind of way that you you started the story, and it's also a very compelling way, right? I mean, you know, it's I, I don't know if you've seen that idea someplace else that just seeped in, or it's just your view of the world that uh, everybody's you know cynical and out for themselves, a very Hobbesian kind of view of the world. I, I don't know, but. Uh, you, but but fill us in here. Where, where did that lead come from? It, well, it it uh, it came from you know when you when you do a story like this, there's you spend so much time reporting it and thinking about it. It's it's a it's a lot of uh, information that you've got to distill, and it's like you've got to, it's like a piece of clay. And like, how am I going to shape this into something? I got a lot of stuff here, and I always try to think uh, when it comes to the leads, the starts of the stories kind of thematically like what's the what's the theme here and at first i thought the theme was you know talking about something that happened 35 years ago and the tigers leaving the tigers not wanting to but the thing that the funny thing was the ironic thing was that the reason i write that is because he does he he comes up to me the next day after i talked to him in a bowling alley for a couple of hours and and he says hey i don't want you to write that I don't, he's worried that he's going to, it's going to come off that it's all about him and maybe came off a little whiny, whatever it was that he's talking about himself. And like I said, Gibson does not look for, for publicity these days. Um, and he could get as much as he wants, especially because of the Parkinson's that he's dealing with. And at first I'm like, whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. <laughs> right. What was it? Whoa, whoa is exactly right. Like you spend two hours with him, you don't want him. 
And he's saying, hey, don't write it. It's still Kirk Gibson, right? He's still, he's even still now, Kirk he's Gibson. A, 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 yeah, he's an opposing figure. <laughs> and I want to hear how it happened that he became okay with it, or did you threaten him? But before we do, <laughs> let's take a quick break and pay some bills, and uh, we'll be right back with how you told Kirk Gibson how it was going to be. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carl Sushant. Okay, what did you do to the imposing Kirk Gibson, the growling, menacing, <laughs> you know, stubble-faced uh, Kirk Gibson? To just to sway him to say, hey, wait a second. Did you tell him, you know, what'd you say? I'm Carlos Menares and this is how it's going to be. What'd you say? Yeah. I mean, because that can was... be an awkward conversation, right? Because you want to honor to some degree. But so how'd you, how'd you figure that out? Well, you know, you and I have been at this for a while, Sean, and it's not my, it's not my first rodeo. It's not the first time someone's told me, I don't want to do this. All right. You know what? I said too much or whatever. I wasn't expecting him to say that. So I just talked him into saying like, listen, I think this is something that, you know, one, people are going to be very interested in the story about you, but also, you know, it's going to help people. Um, the Parkinson stuff is going to help people because uh, we talked about that and how he's dealing with his illness. And it's been very impressive. I mean, you know, one day I was supposed to play golf with him and I didn't because he was, he'd been tired from doing too much activity the day before. And that's one of the, the key things that they say for, uh, for dealing with Parkinson's is physical activity and, and staying, you know, active. And I think Gibson may overdo it a little bit because he does just about anything he can. And so I think he realized this is an opportunity to, to, yes, he's, it's going to be a lot about his playing career and the breakup with the Tigers and all that stuff, you know, and he didn't even talk about what the Dodgers at the home run. He didn't even talk about it that much. But he did. He did talk about the Parkinson's, and and um, he's very. One of his key messages is: don't hide from it. Don't you have to take it? You know, face it head on. Don't shrink from it. Deal with it. Attack it. And that's that's Gibson, right? Like always attacking, always being aggressive, always. That's who he was. As a player, that's who he was in the locker room. That's that's just his personality. And I think that's the kind of thing that does give you inspiration, whether you're dealing with, you know, specifically Parkinson's or other diseases or serious uh, medical conditions. You know, I think you can take um, you can take comfort in thinking, hey, this is a guy, this icon in sports, certainly in Detroit, you know, who's been dealt a, a bad hand and this is how he's dealing with it. And you know, I hope that some people did gain inspiration from that and not, uh, you know, not, not, not let the disease control them, but rather, you know, meeting it head so, on and doing as much as you can. Well, that's really smart to sort of push it that way. But so should your lead have been Kirk Gibson doesn't want you to read this, but I changed his mind and now he's okay with you reading this. <laughs> Kirk Gibson has nothing on me. I'm, it's all what, about what, me. 
Would would that have been more? Well, no, no, this is this is the this is the argument Sean and I always have. Your listener is Sean would have thinks I should have probably written it is. I got Kirk Gibson to change his mind about uh, he he hates it when I start sentences with I. So <laughs> I would have been the perfect Carlos. Call. No, not necessarily, not necessarily. So <laughs> so so he agrees, obviously, and you 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 roll from there and, and get into the writing process. It's funny about that home run with the Dodgers. I think what people what makes that home run so memorable, other than obviously the circumstances, the the relief pitcher, the the fact that the A's were so heavily favored, all that sort of stuff. I mean, the Dodgers are real underdogs, and they are not often underdogs. I mean, they're one of the great franchises in American sports history. But but at that time, they were. But what, to, to me, and I think what for so many people, it's just the emotion and the way he pumped his fist, right? So he's, so he's pumping the fist, so there's that Gibson intensity as he's sort of limping. So you got competing parts of his body right on the one hand you can see the fury and that that arm swing that fist pump and the other he's you know kind of an aging player who's who's um hanging on for dear life and limping around the bases you know it's all in the larger context of the the world series at a time when the world series was you know i hate to say this at least nationally a lot more meaningful to our to our culture and um and that's another reason it, it it stands out, right? Especially for those of us that remember that time. I, obviously, the Tigers got into the World Series, Carlos. It would be huge around here, you know. And maybe if they got in with a trend, some transcendent players in the game, you know, the Derek Jeter type players, it would it would resonate across the country. But do you remember that? I mean, you, I, I, do you remember how baseball felt back then nationally? Oh, yeah. Maybe you don't because you were right in the middle of it. It's hard for you to remove because you were in L.A. and you love the Dodgers, but. I don't know. Did you have any sense of how big it was? Not just oh, for the Oakland and LA, but for the rest of the country? Well, um, not, not right away when it happened. Um, but I think in the, probably in the next few years, I mean, I was in high school when that happened, but as you would see around the world series time every year, they would replay that home run a lot. And it was like, they're really replaying this a lot. And the Dodgers have always been kind of like the Yankees where a lot of people hate them, you know, just because they're this powerhouse team with unlimited, you know, budgets. And usually they get a lot of star players. That was funny because that team did not have a lot of star players. So it was pitcher. The pitcher was their star player, right? Well, Gibson, I guess, but Gibson, they had Mike Socia was really good. But other than that, it was, you know, you got, and people knew Mike Socia, but Hershiser was the and then ended up becoming a bigger star because of his performance in that series, right? But yeah, he had an incredible year, and Gibson had an incredible year. But they were not—I don't even—I'm not even. Who knows? I mean, what they were even picked to even make the playoffs again? There was no, no yeah, wild card that, back the, then, and the, the, those ace teams had had oh. stars on them that Trent that went way beyond baseball, right? Then now this is the back when baseball was full of players like that, but. Jose Canseco, right? Mark McGuire, Ricky Henderson. I mean, oh yeah. Uh, even to some degree, Dennis Eckersley, the the relief pitcher. And I'm trying to think who their ace was. Dave Stewart, maybe. Dave but just Stewart. Jose, but just Can, Jose Canseco alone, right? Then you add yeah. Ricky Henderson, and then Mark McGuire, right? But those three guys were. It's it's hard to think of baseball that way now, but but uh, with with guys all over national commercials, right? Just these. To some degree, even having a little bit of paparazzi following them, especially Canseco. Oh yeah, 
you, you oh, know he was I mean? uh, he was in the nightclubs for sure yeah no there was just it was just a, it was crazy i mean this was in oakland too and obviously san francisco oakland's a huge market but uh but oakland's it's funny oakland's always been considered don't tell small, billy bean that it's always been considered a small market team yeah but it's part of part of one of the three or four largest metropolitan areas in the country so it's kind of funny that dynamic anyway I just uh, well, you can't. I and don't that, forget yeah. this that that, and I think it was in the SL Price. It might have been the SL Price, or I, I forget where I read it. But after he hit that home run, one of the assistant coaches put a piece of tape on his locker uh, over his name, that, and instead of Gibson, it said Roy Hobbs, because the Natural, the movie with Robert Redford, that kind of mirrors what Gibson did, had just come out. I think or a few years before that, eighty four or something. So it was kind of fresh in people's minds as kind of like storybook, aging player, you know, hits a dramatic home run in the World Series kind of thing. Um, and he did it in real life. Um, and I remember, I the funny thing is I asked a lot of people about that home run and people can't remember where they were. They, it's I think it's that's the funny thing, Sean, is it's become so ingrained in sports culture that even people who were in Los Angeles at the time, unless you were watching it on TV or at the stadium, you know, I, I wasn't, um, it, 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 it's hard to remember exactly like where you were, what happened, how you felt in the moment. I'm sure I saw it on a television replay when I got home and I was watching local sports highlights or whatever it was. And they're like, oh, Lord, because the funny thing was I was at the forum watching this game. All they did was announce the I think it was that they won. The Dodgers won. And and they would always say from Dodger Stadium, you know, they announced, you know, they may not even be given the score. Maybe they did. But there were zero TVs around. Nobody knew. Nobody had radios or internet, obviously. So it wasn't until you, maybe I heard it on my, in the car on the way home and talk radio or something like that. Um, but it was, uh, it's just become part of this mythology of sports, right? Uh, where were you when it happened? I, I, a lot of people I know can't remember exactly where they were when it happened. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I remember. I remember watching it though. And I remember, I remember loving it up because I love the Dodgers. But it was, the A's were, a juggernaut, right? Yeah. And um, so you're kind of rooting, you know, you, I'm sure lots of people love them, but I didn't. And so I just <laughs> want to see, I just want to see anybody beat them. You know, so I didn't, I didn't take any joy in that home run because I was rooting or had a, you know, want to see the Dodgers win necessarily. It was, it was quite the opposite. And, you know, you know how that motivation is a, I was just a, a, a fan of baseball back then. Not that I'm not now, but, um, there, there were some other homers too that that I probably enjoyed more. Uh, uh, Kirby Puckett had a homer for the Twins. Mm-hmm. I want to say in the way, and I I love those Twins teams. I'm not sure 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 why. The um, uh, Joe Carter, I think you mentioned him, but uh, but getting back to to Gibson for a second, and 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 baseball and this idea, and you touched on this, and I remember this happened. I remember all this these stories at the time. You know, bringing his mentality, he how serious he was, and you know he didn't like that. He thought the Dodgers were too loose and clowning around, and that that kind of thing today. You know, people would would side eye you in baseball, right? Like it, it, that it doesn't matter that you can't do that kind of rah rah stuff. You can either pitch or throw or hit, and 
You know what I mean? We, we, we don't we don't think about baseball in the psychological terms that we used to. What, what, what do you think of that? Could that could a player change a culture in a clubhouse like that? A single player in today's game? I think so. I think if the player has enough, uh, you know, bona fides and you know they're they're they have to have I think the support from the buy-in from other players, from the manager, from the general manager. But he made you it know, so right, Carlos. I mean, he he was going after Lasorda too, right? He wouldn't, he didn't yeah. care. Lasorda was uh, uh, Tommy Lasorda for the listener, right? The, the manager of the, the Dodgers at the time. Yeah, I, the, there are some wild stories about Tommy Lasorda, and I think kind of some of that came from him. Um, and uh, he might as well uh, be that, part of that's the, rat the team. Pack. I, I don't know the background of this, but I'm guessing that at the time, I mean, and, and Peter O'Malley, the Dodgers owner at the time, specifically calls Gibson and says, I want to, I want you, you know, and their general manager, Fred Clare, I'm sure took his marching orders from O'Malley. And it's like, we're not going to go get this guy, you know, and he's going to have an MVP season and we're not going to follow, fall in line with him. We're going to let, you know, some relief pitchers, you know, mess with him or, some shenanigans going on. They they know they knew that they needed something different. I'm sure at the time that they didn't have a bunch of stars on the team. They needed somebody to to bring more intensity out of the team. Um, and you see it. I think you see it in all sports. You know, baseball is different. And and when I talked to Alan, Alan Trammell about that, he did say, you know, he had that football mentality. He could be prickly, and he said it's that football mentality doesn't really usually translate to baseball. It's not common. So he was one of the few guys who could make it work in the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I wasn't in the clubhouse with Gibson. Then um, I think he was probably overall a likable guy, respected guy. He worked hard. He's one of these guys who he made himself a better player. He wasn't some superstar I mean, he played one season of college baseball at Michigan State, and that made him a first-round pick. But he had to make himself into it. He, you know, never had a good arm, but he, you know, he took lessons from, you know, tutoring, basically mentoring from Al Kaline. You know, he worked at 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 being a better player. Sparky Anderson helped, and I think they looked at that. I think the Dodgers looked at, hey, he's coming from a really successful Tigers team. Can we can we transplant some of that? And um, but it worked. Give them credit. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to go against a whole locker room or clubhouse. You know, even when you know better, even when it's hard to change. People talk about that too much these days. It's I, and that's one of the things I really hate is when people are like, oh, the culture, the culture. Talk to Kirk Gibson about changing the culture. That's hard. I mean, if I think if it's a concerted effort from the top down, even then it's difficult to do it. But you need leaders in the clubhouse. Guys who are willing to take it in the teeth and stand up and say, this is BS. People like Kirk Gibson. It's hard to do that. It's so, funny. Jim, Jim Leland used to downplay that, right? He, a culture. He used to talk about and the idea of momentum and the psychology for him. You know, hey, the momentum is your next day starter, right? I mean, that, that, that that's that's how it works. <laughs> that's baseball. what it is these days. Yeah, it, it's true. And he, and he downplayed a lot of that. And it was always interesting to me because I thought that was sort of self-effacing because that was one of the things he was so good at. Something, yeah, obviously strategy, and he understood the game and all that really, really, really well. But, but he was so good at walking through and sort of sizing up and understanding and trying to, because because let's face it, yes, mechanics matter, the analytics, the video, the studies, the the angle, everything. We, you know, we talk about launch angles all the time, right? 
if you can't relax when you're in the batter's box, you're toast. That's still true, even though that kind of language is is fading from the game a little bit, or at least how we write about and cover the game. That's the other thing that made it so interesting to me when I was reading your Gibson piece. I was just thinking about all that's changed. And your your, your point about football not translating to Alan Tremel, yeah, for sure. But did you think about that, though, when you when you were writing this and reporting this of just about the way we thought about baseball back then and talked about baseball, even covered baseball versus how we write and cover about it, uh, cover it now. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, and I, you know, that was one of the decisions I made to not include in the, in the story was more stuff about Lasorda and the culture of those teams. Um, you know, a lot of it's hearsay, but certainly you, you know, LA journalists at that time could tell you some crazy things. Um, and it was a different time, you know, now we do have so many more analytics and, and, you know, the, the money is so huge. I mean, what did he, he signed for, I think four and a half million dollars yeah. for three years. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's shocking uh, when you read that. Yeah, no, for sure. Oh, it was, and it was something crazy. Like I, he had some quote somewhere. I remember, reading something about how it was uh, the Dodgers were giving them another, I don't know, I think it was the Tigers and the Dodgers were offering like $500,000 more or something like that. And, you know, and it was like, oh, it'd be crazy not to take this, you know, and 500000 I mean, it's like Miguel Cabrera trips over $500,000 outside of the clubhouse every day. So, uh, yeah, the money's so outrageous that, uh, you know, you don't have to really tell players much about how to take the game seriously um, I do think that I do think that uh, we are missing that component. I don't know if it's a football thing necessarily. Certainly, it was with Gibson, but just that leadership aspect. Though I'm willing to stick my neck out, call guys out, tell them this is wrong. We got to do things better. We got to practice better. We got to play better. We got to take things more seriously. Sometimes, um, you know, nobody was going to match Kirk Gibson's intensity, and frankly. This is when he got to the Dodgers. This is what we heard was he's a football player, you know, and and um, I didn't like him for that reason. You know, I didn't know much about him, really, uh, other than he'd been a great player for the Tigers. Uh, but I didn't like that. I didn't like that he may have seemed like a little self-serious or whatever. Um and I, no, you, you know, you wanted, having, base, you wanted baseball players smoking in the you wanted like Keith Hernandez smoking, smoking <laughs> in the dugout and. <laughs> you know, trying to trying to look at people in the crowd and all that sort of thing. That's what that's what you wanted, right? Well, it's it's it's. I mean, having played baseball, I mean, it's it's a very methodical, deliberate game. You know, you don't, you just can't be that intense. And and I'll tell you a quick little funny thing that happened. But he was. It's been almost ten years now since this happened. But my team, my my college team, Cal State Fullerton, it's a baseball school. And they were playing. They they got out. They got sent out to the Super Regional at Louisville, and Louisville's baseball program was on the rise. And the coach decided to say, "Hey, we're going to lean into. We have a really. I think I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater was on the team then or whatever. But we're going to lean into how good our football team is. We're going to bring that kind of football intensity to our baseball team." Well, Cal State Fullerton's won four College World Series titles. They know something about how to play well without having to be that kind of intense team. They go play in the Super Regional, and that team, that Louisville team, isn't. It was intense. The pitcher's intense. He's pointing at the dugout. 
Fullerton beats them. They go to the World Series. So next year, wouldn't you know, they Louisville, same thing, right? And they're hosting another Super Regional. They get another team, UC Santa Barbara, from our conference, from Big West. Wouldn't you know, Santa Barbara beats them. And I think they started relaxing on the whole football intensity because it doesn't translate. You just cannot bring that. You have to play with Unless they're playing control. above their talent, right? Unless they're playing above their talent. I mean, that Louisville could, you know, Santa Barbara and Fullerton may just been more talented teams and Louisville was trying they to. They weren't. They were they were huge underdogs in those games. To, to, but they know how to play baseball. These teams have been, they're, they're you know, California baseball teams are, are much different than, you know, uh, Southern. I mean, you know, I mean, Louisville's kind of in the South, but other than yeah, the power I mean, SEC I, teams. Yeah, I'm like, well, Vanderbilt, right? I mean, but that's Vanderbilt's just, great. Yeah, I mean, that's just a matter of getting guys. But it doesn't translate. Are, I mean, the the point right. is, it's hard to translate that intense that. And I'm talking football. It's like pitch to pitch intensity. You can't have that. You can have an at bat. No, sometimes have, closers have it, but they're out there for an in, half right. an inning, right? Or may, right. maybe one one out or one batter of the next thing. Absolutely. And maybe they come in early and face one batter in the the, the eighth. Mariano Rivera used to do that, although. He's not. He was serious more than I think of a tense. But no, your your point your point's a good one. I tell you what, though, it, it it makes for great stories. It made for a great story with what you just did with the uh, the one you just told about Kirk Gibson. And I think we're just drawn to that real real quickly. Think about Dan Campbell. Look, look if you win as a is if you have an NFL team and you're a head coach and you're in a town, usually the NFL team is the favorite team. It's just football in our culture. And if you win, you're going to be lionized. You're going to be beloved in a lot of ways. And I'm sure Bill Bel- that's what Bill Belichick is for New England. But if you win and you're Dan Campbell, you're going to be, you know, I don't know if he's going to do it or not, but if he were to win with that personality, with this town, that will be a different relationship these Detroiters, Michiganders have with Campbell than New Englanders have with Belichick, right? Because oh, yeah. of what you're talking about. And that's what you got with Gibson in your story, right? It's It's that. It's not that Campbell is intense in the same way Gibson is, but just there's something about that connects that that lends itself to storytelling. And I'm just I'm glad you did it, man. It's like I said, it's a reminder that uh, that this is what we can still do, and it's nice to see that we can still do this. And um, I hope you feel good about what you did, and I hope that we'll see that a little bit more from you from time to time. You know. Yeah, and you know what? And credit, um, I'm going to be a total suck up, but credit to our sports editor, Kirk Kirkman Crawford, who, you know, uh, approved this and thought it's a good idea to do it. The same thing when I went out to talk to Stafford when he was at the Rams and the Lions were going out there to play, you know, giving me the time to go out and, you know, report it, talk to people, you know, and that's, I think, I think most journalists you know that's the kind of you can get you can be inspired and driven by a lot of different things but but i like to do these kind of stories and when you're right we don't do them quite often they take a lot of time um, they do and it's you need you need the support from your editors to make that happen and um kirk's been uh kirk's been great about that so uh email kirkland crawford and tell him to you want more of these kind of stories from people like me and sean so we'll uh we'll yeah and our our colleague jeff seidel obviously does them probably more than than anybody on our sports staff anyway and he's and very good at him but uh, in any case all right let's take one more quick break come back with uh the favorite thing and 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 get everybody out of here we'll be right back with more free press sports with carlson sean 
Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carl Sean. All right, my man, let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. What you, what you got for your favorite thing? My favorite thing is a is kind of a dumb thing, but it's a simple thing. Um, as you know, Sean, I was uh, I was out there in Florida for for a week or so, and then I got sick. And my first cold in three years, pre COVID, hit pretty hard, uh, and uh, just a cold, nothing beyond that. Um, but it was hard and um, laid me up for for a while, for a couple of weeks, from doing any kind of serious uh, activity. And, um, uh, I like to work out. I really enjoy going to my local gym. And I, today was the first day this week. I went back for the first time in three weeks. And, you know, one of the things I realized as much as I really enjoy the physical, you and I have boring life. We, we don't move. We just sit at tables and look at screens and whatever, think great thoughts, but we don't have a lot of physical activity. If we have I don't one of those, about thinking great thoughts, but yeah, <laughs> well, you do. But if we had an Apple Not Watch, it'd be screaming at us all the time saying, get up, move, move, move. Um, so it was fun to go back to work out, but it was also nice to see the people. And I forgot all the all my little like classmates that I, you know, take classes with and exercise classes. And so it was fun to see uh, people back at my gym. Um, I really enjoyed it. I was looking, I, I told my wife, I was really looking forward to it. And uh, and I'm glad to be back on uh, back on the path to to better health with more exercise. So that was my favorite thing. Oh, well, that's great. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're feeling better. We definitely, uh, we definitely miss you. It's no fun when you're under the weather for sure. My favorite thing is real quick. I was in a journalism class at the university of Michigan, Dearborn invested investigative journalism class taught by, uh, one of our top editors now, but who was a, one of the great investigative journalists anywhere you could find for a long, long time. And Jim Schaefer and, you know, I did used to do some investigative work. And in fact, he and I did a, a piece about a track coach in Tecumseh. And we were talking about this in the class. Who, a uh, high school track coach in Tecumseh, at Michigan, who had a hot tub and would invite, you know, high schoolers over for hot tub parties. And you can just let your imagination um, go from there. In any case, he's in prison. And um, as Jim as Jim pointed out in the Let's class, skip to the skip to chasing. <laughs> no, I don't. I jumped I, to prison. Yeah, I don't. I'm sorry for getting off on that aside, but it just <laughs> well, the the part what I really enjoyed was just talking to the, to the young folks that they're young folks that still want to get into journalism. Every every I went around the room and asked toward the end of the class. Everybody was in there um, because they want to get into journalism in some form. It was a couple of people interested in sports writers, somebody wanted to get into fashion writing, somebody wanted to to get into broadcasting, but they all wanted to go into journalism. And um, and that was heartening. And it was just fun. We, we had a really fun conversation. They, they sort of dissected a piece and had a lot of questions about a, uh, a column I wrote about my family history with dementia and my cousin, Brady, who, who, uh, who died last, last summer. And and they put it up on a big projector screen and were asking me about this sentence and that sentence and this sentence. And that was partly what was 
sort of inspiring to me because I went to talk about your Kirk Gibson piece today, but um, it was fun to kind of go back and say why I did this. Sometimes you can't explain. In any case, my favorite thing was by far the fact that young people still want to come into this crazy business and they, it, they still want to go tell stories and still want to you know, expose wrongdoing and, you know, bring different voices and opinions. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty critical to what we do as a society, what we try to do. And sometimes you think, God, why would anybody want to get into this business? The financial difficulties, the, the way it's so polarized, but listening to the young folks, uh, yeah, gives you a little bit of faith. So that was my favorite thing. Let me ask you, was the, I want to see if your experience was similar to mine when I've talked to journalism classes, but was there a number one question or most common question? How do you get a job? No, no. Their questions for me were all based on writing and how I would do something and how you get better. And, you know, yeah, it was mostly about writing um, and getting better and sentence structure. And, well, how did you come up with this, there, this? And the problem is you don't know sometimes. But, yeah, I mean, there yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't about how to get a job. So, I was, but I have had that before in classes. But anyway, all right, my man, it's good to see you. I'm glad you're feeling better. Uh, thanks for letting us dig into your 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 fabulous piece on on Kirk Gibson. And um, I will see you. I'm sure. Uh, who knows when I'll see you? I don't know. Baseball's about to start here, so. Oh, opening day next week. Yeah, we'll probably see you at opening day for sure, and. Um, you know, maybe before we'll see. In any case, we need to thank. Uh, who do we need to thank, man? We need to thank Robin Channer, our intrepid producer, does all the hard work, and our executive producers, Kirkland Crawford, the aforementioned. Uh oh, we're getting. You know, Anjanette Delgado is not going to. I heard she's not happy. She's not getting a not a lot or enough mentions, and she's the interim interim editor on top of that. So she can just like snap her fingers and we're gone. And it's just the. That's all right. The you and all hang, we'll hang out. We'll, we'll talk on the phone. It's okay. <laughs> we'll be good. It'll just be dead air from now on. Yeah, um, no, it's so all, it's she's the good. most important one in this whole thing. But right. no, no, no. She's the second most important because who's the most important? The listeners. Whole, we want to thank you for spending time with us, uh, for joining us, for putting up with us. Uh, we, we are grateful. We are uh, also, you know, look, if you're already listening, you already know this, but let's just say this again. You can find us wherever you find your favorite podcast, Spotify, Apple. When you get there, please subscribe, rate us, tell us what you think. Until next week, Carlos, when we'll be back for more Free Press sport with Sports with Carlos and Sean, maybe you can find another guy who uh, was once angry and intense who helped turn a franchise around and dig into his, uh, dig into his life story. That would be great. I'll look forward to that. I will too. Okay. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.